Let's give Jonathan and the praise team a hand. What a job. Yeah. They haven't said anything about it, but, uh, you know, I told you, invite your friends to our, our New Life celebration, which is Good Friday evening. Easter service, bringing back the choir. We've got several choirs. We've got the brass ensemble. Uh, it's it's going to be quite a service, and so it's a great service to introduce your friends to. So bring them Good Friday, bring them Easter uh, morning, um, and uh, it's exciting uh, where God's taken us to uh, uh, to new places of worship. So hope you'll uh, invite others to, to join us Good Friday and Easter. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to finish this chapter this morning and uh, then move on to other places of Scripture, but still uh, thinking about our, our uh, uh, theme of God's attributes, characteristics of God. And this morning, I didn't want to leave. We spent so much time in Exodus 19. I didn't want to leave uh, these last few verses hanging because they say so much about the compassion of God. Um, you know, probably most people, if you were to survey, know that God and love go together. Most people just assume that, and but sometimes I think we could read these verses and and miss the love of God in them. Um, I was in a, a, a petite dress shop uh, one uh, afternoon. My wife was trying on a dress, and it was it was a small dress shop, and uh, a, a, a rather large woman came in. You know how do you say this nicely? But she's the stereotype of uh, the Harley. Davison, you know, motorcycle gal. And she comes coming up, wheeling up to the dress shop, gets out, comes in. And like I said, it's a small shop, so there's the owner, there's me, my wife's in the dressing room, and you're not going to miss this lady coming in. And she walked around kind of, you know, large and in charge for a minute, and just finally just said loudly, and by this time she was right beside me, you know, I'm just kind of looking over there waiting on Patty, and uh, She's got tattoos down her arms, so I started reading them, and I was thankful. You know, some people have tattoos, and you can't figure out what they are. But I could read these, and it was, uh, no war, no bombing, and then right near her wrist, God is love. And I thought, that is so cool. You know, thinking about her arm was a political statement, that she was against war. She was against violence. I thought, lady, you're big enough to whoop everybody in this place, including me, and yet I bet... Just by your arm, you're one of the sweetest, nicest, sensitive people someone might meet. I mean, that was the message she was conveying. And I thought about that when I thought about this Exodus passage that right next, you know, last week we looked at God's thunder and his lightning and his harshness, his his bigness, his greatness. And I thought right next to this big God is tattooed this statement about love. And like a lot of tattoos, sometimes we read them, we see them, and then we just ignore them. And we miss the message that's there. And I think there's a big message here that uh, often gets ignored. Let me read, beginning at verse 21. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. He says, I want the people not to perish. Verse 22, I want 
to do what we need to do to keep the priest from perishing also. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you've warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people, and he told them. You know, the first thing God does here, when they've been waiting three days for this meeting, and Moses goes up the mountain, mountain to meet God, the first thing God does is go back and, and warn the people not to, not to touch the mountain, not to come up, not to follow you. Make sure you tell the priest too, because they may, you know, they've consecrated themselves for, for holiness. Make sure they don't do it either. And Moses said, I've, I've, I've been there, done that. God said, no, I, I want you to do it again. And that's what I want you to begin to feel. God, God's saying, I, I want you to do it again. It's like, I want you to do it again, and I want you to do it again. I can't tell you to do it enough. Why does God tell him to do this over and over? I mean, think about Moses' life. I imagine he was an extremely fit individual. He grew up in Midian, near Mount Sinai, uh, basically after he left Egypt. And then he has to walk back to Egypt when God says, I want you to deliver my people out of Egypt. Then he walks from Egypt back to Sinai. And then he goes up the mountain. Then he comes back down the mountain. Then he goes back up the mountain. God says, I want you to go back down the mountain. And, God says, and Moses is like, good grief, what kind of fitness trip is this? Why would God do that? You know, the more I read this passage, this over and over and over again warning, it's God saying, I want you to do this because I love these people. And if these people who are sinners come into the presence of holiness, he says, he doesn't say, I will, I'm going to squash them. He says, the Lord will break out. It's like, you don't understand Holiness will consume the sinner. And I don't want him to perish. It's because of my compassion. It's because of my love. It's because I know people have a tendency to think they can do whatever they want. And that's going to hurt them in a big way. And I don't want to see them hurt. That's the message here. That's it in a nutshell if you get it. God's commands are to keep us from harm, from disaster, from destruction, from further sin. God's commands, you know, the very next chapter we're not going to look at, but chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, that those list of 20, uh, Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, those commands are not there to restrict us in the sense of keeping us from fun or pleasure or good life. They are to keep us from sin, destruction, from perishing. They are the, the barriers, the, the boundaries that God has set to deliver us from harming ourselves. And when you realize that, you know, what can we do just to remember that these commands, God's warnings, are compassionate limits? That's what I want you to think about. Let's see that we, God obviously wants us to remember compassionate limits. He thought the people were going to forget them. And they were just going to burst through onto the mountain or follow Moses up. Um, 
Remember, God never denies himself. We've sung about it. We've talked about it. God is holy. God cannot act inconsistent with his own nature. God is holy. He cannot be anything but holy. He cannot sin. He is holy. Holy and sin do not mix. I've talked about it as sin being a combustible substance and God being a consuming fire. And when fire and sin, when fire and gas mix, there's going to be an explosion. God realizes that and he can't deny that that's going to happen. So he doesn't want that to happen. We need to remember God's holy nature. The problem is not just that we're sinners. But God is also holy. That's what gives us the problem, that they don't mix. Holiness uh, will destroy sin every time. It's, it's, like, it's like light and darkness. You can't have light and darkness at the same time. Light always dispels darkness, naturally and necessarily, or it wouldn't be light. In the same way, you can't have holiness and sin in the same space. Holiness will consume sin naturally and necessarily every time. And that's what God's warning them about. You're a sinner. And you've got to realize I'm a holy God. And to approach me without some means of barrier, some some preservation... um, it's going to destroy you. Um, you know, if, if somebody goes to hell, it's not because God's harsh. God's just being God. He's holy. And when we die, we, we meet Him. If we meet Him without righteousness, if we meet Him without the proper covering, if we meet Him without the exchange of our sinful nature, then we perish. We go to hell, that's, that's just natural. Because we can't exist in his holy presence as sinners. We must be made new. We must be made right. It's, right. it's, it's not God being harsh. It's just that's the way it's got to be. Um, I, I've been in one propane gas explosion. Some of you know that story. And I've sat in the ER with first degree, second degree, third degree burns. I don't ever want to go through that experience again. And it haunts me anytime I'm around propane gas to this day or any kind of gas for that matter um, when, when I see somebody you know light a, light a match, cigarette torch, whatever and I see in the same space a gas can somewhere you know I'm like whoa whoa whoa, whoa don't, don't, you know that bothers me because I know there's fumes and I know when the fumes of the gas catch up with the flame if they do there's going to be an explosion. And it's not going to be pretty. That's what's going to happen. I don't know why that happens. I just know what happens. Fire and gas don't mix. They have to be separated. And the same is true here. Holiness and sin don't mix. There must be a separation or one of us will be consumed. We will perish. And that's what God is warning the people about, um, that God can't act outside his own holy nature. Um, Look at uh, Genesis 18. Think about just uh, God's nature here. Here's the story of 
of Abraham talking to God all about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 18, uh, verses 26 to the end. So, Genesis 18, verse 26. So, the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now, now God... You know, I venture to speak to the Lord, although I'm but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now think about the dialogue there. Abraham is really in his mind pleading for his own nephew, Lot, and Lot's family. God says, I'm going to come down to Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a region. Several cities were involved. And if God comes down, holiness is coming down, and holiness will consume all sinners. Abraham said, but what if there's some righteous people there? Say 50. God says then I won't come down and destroy it. The question I want to ask is, do you, do you get the impression God is hell-bent when you read this? Not at all. You get the impression God does not want to send anybody in Sodom and Gomorrah to hell. But if he comes down and they are sinners, they will perish. They will be destroyed. But, but he's, not, he's not excited about the prospects. He wants to save people. He wants to keep them from perishing. And that's the same story in Exodus 19. This warning after warning after warning is God repeatedly saying, I want to spare. I want to save. It's a trustworthy statement, Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He wants to save. He wants to keep us from perishing. You know the, the, the famous verse. Let me read it to you so you, you hear it again slowly. Like I said, sometimes we, we slip over this. John 3, verse 16. says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whose ever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life God's passion there is that we not perish he knows we will if we don't believe in Jesus if Jesus is not our covering if we don't have faith that Jesus righteousness covers for us we will perish it's going to happen warn the people Warn the people. Warn the people. Holiness and sin don't mix. 
uh, I've often said, perhaps, you know, some people say, what's your favorite chapter? What's your favorite verse? I have a hard time with that. I like the whole Bible. But one verse I do like more, seems like I go back to it more and more, Second Corinthians 5.21, which says, And he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I love the exchange there. He who knew no sin, he who was righteous, exchanged his righteousness for my sin. And he gave me his righteousness. I gave him the sin. What an exchange. What a wonderful exchange. Why would Christ do that? Because he doesn't want us to perish. Warn them, warn them, warn them. I love them. I don't want them to perish. Uh, one of the things I used to say to my kids every night before we put them to bed, every, and then as they grew older, every day just about whenever they went on a trip, whenever they were going somewhere, is the same phrase over and over and over. And the phrase was, trust the God-man Jesus because he saved my life. So I'm turning out the light. Trust, remember, trust the God-man Jesus. He saved my life. You're going on a trip, remember, trust the God-man Jesus. He saved my life. And that was a dad's way of sharing the gospel every day. There's good news for you. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Don't you dare die on me before you trust Jesus. Because people who don't trust Jesus and die go to hell. Sin and holiness don't mix. And so I warn and warn and warn and warn Trust in Jesus, or you perish. It's not a harsh warning. It's the constant reminder of understanding the nature of God and the nature of sinners. And we're trying to put the two together. There must be something between us to keep us from perishing. And that something is someone that's Christ himself. God has holy limits. That's all it's about. He has to stay within his holy limits. God can't do everything. He cannot sin. He must be holy. He must do, he can do all his holy will. Number two, so not just remember that, but respect that. Who took the initiative here in Exodus 19? God did. He says, Moses, thanks for coming. Now I want you to go back. Moses, thanks for coming, but I want you to go back again. I've already done that, God. Now, I want you to do it again. God is taking the initiative. That's the time to stop and worship. Thank you, God, for taking the initiative, for warning me, for giving me truth, for, for showing me what's about to happen if I venture in without being covered in your righteousness. We should worship and adore God. You know, uh, when kids are little, we put them in a crib. Who takes the initiative? The parents do. We put them in the crib, and the crib has rails all the way around. Why do we do that? Because we don't want them to get hurt. We don't want them to climb out. We don't want them to roll out. We don't want them to be harmed. And they basically stay in the crib until they get it. They get that the, the, the rails, the barriers are good for them. We're not trying to restrict them, their freedom. We're not trying to, to harm them. We're not trying to take any pleasure away. We're trying to keep them from hurt, from harm. And when they figure that out, then you can put them on a bed without the rails, and they still don't go off. Because they feel the edge, and they get back. You know, it hurts over there, so they, they stay. 
the warning time and time again is a good thing. And God's warning is the same thing. He says, I've, I've got barriers up. That's to keep you from perishing. And the, the Ten Commandments that follow this, you can see them each as a rail. That God is saying, you, you don't come into my presence by busting down one of these rails. And shooting through into my presence. Because by doing so, you would perish. There would be harm. You must see that this is my holy will. And I want you to to live within holy limits. God's commands are not harmful. They are not restrictions. Um, And we need to learn to to respect them. Sometimes people just see the the commands of God as as restrictive. That they're they're pulling us in. But they're, they're not in any way. They're helping us. They're keeping us from harm and hurt. Um, why? Because there are consequences to breaking God's commands. There are consequences to breaking into holiness as a sinner. Uh, the consequences, as we saw in Exodus 19, verse 21, you perish. Verse 22, also the priests, they will perish. There are consequences for transgressing. Um, it's dreadfully inevitable. Death doesn't come because God is harsh. What are the wages of sin? Romans 6.23, you know the answer. The wages of sin is death. You perish. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the wages of sin is that we will perish. When we break into God's presence with sin, we will perish. You know, I can... um, I can get into a, uh, a situation where I, I, I deserve harm and punishment very easily. Um, I, I shared a while back that uh, I have a hard time with speed limits. You know, especially from here to my house, it's 35 and 40. No road should be 35 or 40 as far as I'm concerned. We can all travel faster than that now, and we should be able to. But anyway, I struggle with that. So... If I go 55 in the 40, 40, 55 in the 45 or whatever, I've gotten caught doing that several times. Let's suppose I want to, you know, ramp it up and go 75, 85. If I start going down the streets of Anderson, 85 miles an hour, I'm going to run into somebody, right? I'm going to run into the police officer at some point, even if I harm no one else. And he's going to say, you have broken the law. You have committed a crime. That's unjust. And you must be punished. There's consequences for your sin. And we need, need to see that those consequences apply to everything. Sometimes, you know, so if, if I want to get a policeman's attention, all I've got to do is go 85 miles an hour. I will get his attention. If I want to, to and get his fury, you know, if, if, I, if I want to get God's, just break the commands. Sometimes, I, you know, people, I, I don't think they get this. They, they're saying, well, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah, I want to go to heaven. And you're running as fast as you can to heaven, but you're breaking all these commands on the way. I said, do you not see that you're going in as a sinner and sinner and holiness don't mix? I mean, think that through for a minute. Do you ever, first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you, do, you, do you break that command and say it's going to be okay? 
Do you, do you break the command to worship God first? Do you love God first today? Do you love God best? Do you spend on God first? Do you give to God first? Do you seek God first and have no other gods before first, before God, who is first? Do you say, well, you know, that doesn't matter. I've got Jesus. Wait. How do you have Jesus and you don't have God first? Thinking through that. And, and the second commandment, you know, don't make idols. Do, do you bring God down to your level? Do you, do you bring God down to your image, what you've created of him? And you think that doesn't matter to him? Is your image really this holy God who thunders in dark clouds? Or have you created something soft and sweet that doesn't care about your sin? And you say, that's your God. God says, mm, don't do that. Don't waltz into my presence, breaking the barriers. Or the third commandment, not to speak vainly of God or as a believer, representing God. There's so much vain speech, profane speech in our day. It's like, God, we think God doesn't care what comes out of our mouth. He's got a whole chapter in the Bible on that. But it's, it's a very important barrier that he's placed. I want you to speak appropriately. You're speaking to the, in the presence of holiness. And the fourth commandment, not to uh, reject the Sabbath command, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. You know, it amazes me the number of people who say, well, yeah, you going to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Um, what are you doing on Sunday? I don't know. We haven't decided yet. What do you mean you haven't decided yet? It's, it's not your day. It's remember that it's the Lord's day. And keep it holy. Keep it set apart. Keep it separated. This is not a day where you, you just say, well, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do on that day. You know, it's, it's my day. It's, it's, the only, it's the only day of God to do this. See, it's not that kind of day at all. It's the Lord's day. And, and we know there's things God wants us to do. He wants us to do them one day out of seven every week because it's his day. He's, he's set it up since creation. Or the fifth commandment, to honor authority, starting with mom and dad. The sixth commandment, to, to not murder. The seventh commandment, not to commit adultery. The eighth commandment, not to steal. The ninth commandment, not to lie. The tenth commandment, not to covet. These are barriers God has put around us. Do we break through the rails like on a crib and say, it's okay, I won't get hurt. God says, warn them, warn them, warn them. That's not the way it works. There are, there's a holy barrier, there's a standard for those who enter into my presence. And it's not to restrict or hurt. You want to come in. It's to prepare them for right living with a holy God. That's what God has given us in Exodus 19. It's to help us to see that his commands are not hard. You say, well, well, preacher, I mean, you've just now confused me because I struggle with keeping those commands, and I can't keep them all. Right. That's why we need Jesus. None of us can keep them. We sin every day. Jesus has kept them all. He has fulfilled all righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, And he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says, I want to give you my record of righteousness. I want to exchange memberships with you, so to speak. 
I want you to come in with my righteousness. I got invited to play golf with a friend, an old friend of mine named Jim. Um, and uh, actually, I called him up and invited myself. But anyway, it was at the Holly Tree Country Club, which is where I, over in Simpsonville, which is where I used to be a member when I was a kid growing up. And, and I wanted to go back there and have relive some old times. So I called up the only guy I knew who was a member at Holly Tree because it's a private club. And you can't get in. You can't play unless you're a member. So I called up Jim. I said, Jim, you're a member at Holly Tree, right? He says, yes. I said, I want to play there, and I want you to invite me. And he said, okay, let's, let's do it. So I went. You know, and when you, if you've ever been in a private club of any kind, even like the YMCA, you go in, and somebody might ask you, you know, what are you doing? I don't remember you being a member. And I said, well, I'm not a member. Uh, I'm with Jim. Here's Jim's membership number. Oh, okay. Then you can eat, you can drink, you can play golf, because you're the friend of a member. He's, he's paid up. All his debts are done. He has full rights and privileges here in this club. The same thing is true for us when we go to heaven. We could get to heaven, and God says, wait, who let you in here? He said, well, I didn't get here because I did anything. I'm with Jesus. He's paid up. He's paid all the debts. He has full rights and privileges to membership here. And he invited me to be his friend. He invited me to be his brethren. Scripture says. He says, Hebrews 2 says, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's with me. And God says, okay, you're good. You have full rights and benefits to all the glories of heaven. Because your debts have been paid by Christ. They've been paid in the past. They are current. They're up to date. And they've been paid in the future. He has agreed to pay all the bills. Come in. That's the glory of Jesus. He came to be our substitute. To be our savior. Because we are going to mess up. And sinners can't approach a holy God as those who have messed up. We can only approach him as those whose debts are paid. So we can't get there except through Christ. Trust Christ. He lives within lawful limits. He teaches us the holiness God requires by fulfilling it for us. The people at Mount Sinai, they wanted to know God. They had been in bondage for 430 years. This is exciting to meet God and get out. But they had to be warned again and again and again. Don't miss what it means to enter into a relationship with a holy God. He's extremely compassionate. He doesn't want you to perish. But he can't cease to be holy. So you must be holy as he is holy. Perhaps you want to know a holy God today. But he's also a compassionate God. So see that. See that he so loved the world that he did send his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Trust Jesus. That's the only way we can get there. God has limits. Please trust Jesus. We need his mercy to approach a holy God. Let me pray for us. Father... We're such a nation, such a people. 
oftentimes such individuals that we play with sin. We, just like the people in Exodus 19, need to be warned three, four, five, six times a day, maybe more, over and over and over, not to play with sin, not to approach a holy God flippantly, but to only go through the mediator who is Christ Jesus our Lord. His holiness and His righteousness is necessary for us. Father, forgive us when we've played with sin. May we be a people more passionately pursuing holiness and righteousness, obedience to Your law, because we want to be like You. We want to be holy as You are holy. We know that it can never merit us, gain us access to your presence. It just makes us more like you. Father, forgive us for trying to make you like us. Help us to see you are holy, consuming fire, and we must become like you through Christ alone. Father, for our children, our grandchildren, our family, our friends, for those waltzing through life not even contemplating what it will be like to come face to face with a holy God. Father, let us be the vessel to share with them Jesus, that they would trust Jesus and be spared and not perish. Let us have the same passion of our God to warn and warn and warn and warn with the good news that in Christ we can be free and we can live with eternal life. Father, we thank you for this good warning. We thank you for your sweet compassion. Father, let us live with it and be thankful for it every day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.